Good morning. This place of worship and teaching at the heart of a great university is unique and important in American life and in the life of this city. This weekend, it is a good place to be, and it's important for us to reflect together and to share prayers. Jan and I always enjoy coming here for worship, and on this particular weekend, it's particularly significant. We moved here to Boston a long time ago on this weekend, and this was the first Sunday in Boston for us, and we went to church. We had come to Boston for one year. We thought it would be a good place to experience what it was like to have a last place baseball team. They went on to win the pennant that year. And somehow, we have not left. So my message begins with this warning. Beware of decisions that you make offhandedly and glibly. One year can turn into nearly half a century. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth edify and may the intentions of my heart be appropriate for this hour. Amen. Our texts for the morning, from Samuel and from the Gospel, are at one level quite appropriate for a message to be delivered in the heart of a great university, for they remind those of us who are involved with young adults to beware of what we pray for. Sometimes you actually get it. And if your parents, you know that the hand you're dealt when you bring children into the world, or when we bring children into our lives in any fashion, often plays out far differently than we expected. It often plays out in ways that confound us and surprise us. David is 30 when he's called to rule the United Kingdoms of Israel and Judah. It's seven years after he had been called to rule Judah by Samuel. And you want your sons and daughters to be successful, to succeed. But I wonder if there was no one in his family who thought anything of this sort would happen. Remember their astonishment when he was chosen by Samuel on that first occasion. And then, think about it now, seven years later, as he's going to be established as the king of the United Kingdom, don't you think there was someone who might have said, hey, just wait a minute. This is not what the family signed up for. Are you sure you want to be this successful? Now, Mark is the gospel that is to be found in the lectionary, the common lectionary for this period of the summer. Tradition has it that John Mark wrote the book while in Rome, 
and that it was actually drawn from the teachings, the preaching of Peter. There are few actual words of Jesus quoted in the book. His teaching depends upon parables, we're told, which by definition asks the audience to play with them, to seek meaning, to seek understanding. It's a trick of preachers to keep you involved through the week ahead. These stories make a point, and they demand that we seek understanding. They're to be carried in memory and called upon when we need insight or encouragement or simply to be reminded of who's in charge. We're told that the closest folk to Jesus understood them, but their actions tell us differently. Others are left to ponder, and we're part of that community. With the benefit of history, we can think of these as stories with answers, but they didn't have the benefit of history. And as Jesus moves through Galilee, as he draws close to his home, we suddenly get a sense that maybe someone in his family said, we didn't sign up for this. Something's not right. His mother, his brothers come near, worried that something is wrong with him. They're afraid. Earlier in Mark it says that he had actually lost his mind. It's one thing to wish for a child to be a Torah scholar, but where in the world, someone said, did he get these notions? Well, think for a moment of your dreams for yourself, for your children. We have so many. Think how they play out. The poet Frida Manfred sums up at the end of one of her poems how dreams often do not deliver what we expected. She writes, imagine this. Only one leg, and happy to have it, smoothing down the sidewalk on a magic moving chair, teaching every child you meet the true story of this sweet, tragic, Fourth of July world. Reminds you of the marathon bombing, doesn't it? And what is the true story? The true story is that things often do not go as hoped in this sweet, sad, tragic July 4th world that we live in. Jesus' family had hopes for him. He might become a great teacher, but I suspect they would have settled for him having found a wife and staying close to home and having children. I suspect that they were not prepared for what happened when he went to teach in his own community and left the audience gasping, not at his wisdom, but at his arrogance. And you'll remember that when told his mother and his brothers were nearby, he said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? And he looked around to a congregation like this and he's redefined family. 
How often we've heard these stories of children who, becoming adults, redefine their relationships. In this sad, sweet, tragic Fourth of July world that we live in. The people listening to Jesus said, where in the world did he get these notions? The question's appropriate in keeping with the tenor of the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the earliest of our Gospels. It's a minimalist Gospel. It gives us just an essence. The other Gospels expand and fill in the gaps, and we read them and we think we know the answers, but the community that was here with Jesus didn't have these other sources. They weren't like we were. They had terse paragraphs, leaving them to go elsewhere for details. We do well to remember that the church in Mark's day only had the Gospel of Mark. And now Jesus is in town teaching at the local synagogue. And he's come on a wave of gossip and of stories. He's told tales and parables about seed sown and an uncertain harvest. He tells of the smallest seed that grows into the largest tree where even birds can occupy the branches. People wonder who speaks for him. Sometimes when he does great acts, he tells the folk, remain silent, tell no one. Sometimes, he says, go and tell everyone. He even healed a woman who was not Jewish. And in so doing, he had ignored for a time one of the religious leaders of his day, whose daughter was dying. The symbolism speaks volumes. The A-list of what's important had been turned upside down. The stranger, the foreigner, a woman unknown to anyone was as important as the daughter of the leader of the synagogue. His loudest fan was a demoniac who had been healed and had gone around the neighborhood telling people that Jesus had made him whole. I suspect that the demoniac was about as welcome as Donald Trump would be at a celebration of Cinco de Mayo. He wasn't the sort of person you wanted to be your press attaché. What is a family to do with someone like this in this sad, sweet, tragic Fourth of July world? Now, if you said to me, well, you're making a false comparison, you'd have a point. The world of Jesus' day is not like our Fourth of July world. It's a bit misleading. The Fourth of July exudes triumphalism, what we wish to be, not always what we are. There was little of that in Nazareth. And remember again, we know how the story ends, but we've forgotten how it began. 
it began in failure. Mark leaves out the details, but the prospects are not good. Jesus has said in his community to have been nearly powerless. Only a few people that he touched were healed. And then he sends the twelve out on a mission. And they don't go as triumphal conquerors. He says, go. If they ignore you, let them ignore you. Shake the dust off your feet. The one thing you're not to do, the one thing you're not to do is to go to the high-end hotels or the best bed and breakfasts and stay there where you'd be comfortable. Go and be with the people and do your work. Here we are, this 4th of July, grappling with enormous dislocation, shattered by acts of savagery, worried about economics. There are folk who are pondering what's going to happen in Greece with the vote. We live in fear of the other. The other is named Isis and we translate our fears to those who come across our borders for other reasons. And here we talk about a Jesus who came to the people who knew him best. And when he preached to them, when he taught them, they said, what do you think? Who do you think you are telling us these things? And yet he continued to teach and to march toward Golgotha, this sad, sweet, tragic Fourth of July world. You know, it would be a lot easier if Jesus had just been a little more to the point, wouldn't it? Or if Mark had just written down some of the words he'd said if he'd spoken more pointedly rather than using parables. But people were challenged by those parables, but not seeing, listening, but not understanding what they did see. And when they did understand, finally, we know that they turned the world upside down. I wonder what Jesus would say to us if he came to Cambridge and taught in parables. Maybe it would go something like this. There was a Bible study in a great city, and the great and the small were gathered to share scripture. And a stranger came in and sat with them and challenged them. And when he could not bear their words, he took his gun and killed them. The nation was shaken and was uncertain, but the people of the city were steadfast, and there were those in pain who forgave the stranger. And some took down their flags, the long-standing symbols of oppression, and some said, oh, it's such a small gesture in response to such a great tragedy. Why did it take so long? That is the way it is with the kingdom of heaven. 
And the Supreme Court said that those who love may have the protection of law. And some said, God is displeased, having forgotten that the teacher, when asked, had said that doing justice was required of those who loved God. And the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment, was to love the neighbor as we love ourselves. There was a young man who committed a horrible act. And here in Cambridge, he was part of our community. Though his origins were distance, distant, he went to school here. When brought to trial, he remained silent and showed no emotion as he heard the account of his crimes. And he learned of the pain that he had wrought, and he spoke, finally, offering an apology. He's young. He's unschooled. His words were imprecise, his manner rough. And those who wished to hear him found the words unsatisfactory. And he remains a stranger to those who live near him. He will die for his crime. The forgiveness of Charleston does not reach to Cambridge. That is the way it is with the kingdom of heaven. Let those with eyes see and those with ears hear the word of the Lord in our sad, sweet, tragic Fourth of July world. <laughs>